All right, we are uh, in uh, Ruth, and we're in Ruth chapter 3. We're just beginning chapter 3. And um, real briefly, just a little background. We've been talking about how Ruth comes between the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel, and it's this in-between time. Um, The book of Judges says over and over, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it was a time of spiritual wandering in many ways for these people. Um, it's, Judges is kind of a sad book because you see this, this bringing forth to the promised land in the book of Joshua and Joshua, this great leader. And, and, and then Judges, it just kind of drops off for a long time. And then it says in the beginning of the book of Ruth, it, was, it, it happened during the time of the judges. So that's the context of the book of uh, Ruth. And we saw how uh, there was a famine in the land of Israel and Naomi and her husband left that to the land of Moab with her two sons. And then the husband, Elimelech, dies they're, the two sons end up marrying Moabite, unbelieving women. And then the two sons die. And so here is this woman, this older woman, Naomi. Her husband dead, her two sons dead. She has two daughters-in-law. And she decides to get back to Israel, get back to her hometown of Bethlehem. And the two daughters-in-law want to follow her. And she says, no, go back. And one of them goes back, but, but Ruth, and that's what the book is named after. She says, no, I will follow you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. And your God's going to be my God. And, uh, and so we, they come, they get back to uh, Israel. They get back to Bethlehem. And, and, and uh, we see that um, things start happening in their lives. Some good things start happening. And um, the girl, the young woman, Ruth, goes and she uh, goes to try to get some food for them. Uh, and she's able to get some food and she meets a man named Boaz. And uh, so now... The older woman, Naomi, is talking to Ruth about um, how to try to develop this relationship with Boaz because he's someone who could be her kinsman redeemer, who could actually um, become her husband and also take care of uh, Naomi. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 of the book of Ruth. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it, may, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? In other words, they were, she was trying to get grain to eat. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. 
And she replied, all that you say, I will do. A lot of ways we could talk about this text. Um, One is uh, the interesting uh, unfolding of events as they're going on here, telling her, where, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. What's going on here? We're going to talk about that next time and get into the details of that particular uh, encounter. But the way I would like to look at this text today is to see this difference in the woman Naomi. Because, yes, it's called Ruth, and it is, it is about kind of making sense because Ruth ends up becoming um, in the line of David. And it, it refers to that at the end of, of Ruth. And you could look at it that way historically and, and all that. But I think it's very important that we look at what's happening in Naomi because Naomi was this woman, as we've been focusing on her some, is this woman who was... Bitter. She is a woman who, and, and it's very clear. We're going to look. We're going to look at some passages through the book of Ruth about how she was bitter, and then now we're seeing something different. And I, my working title for this was "From Bitter to Better," but that sounded kind of hokey, so we changed it to "Dissolving Bitterness." Uh, Because we see here, and many times bitter people are just self-absorbed people thinking only of themselves. And we see this, and we'll talk about that later on. But she now is thinking about someone other than herself. She's thinking about Naomi. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And then she helps devise a, a plot by which... Possibly, Ruth could be taken care of. And she could have a husband and maybe even um, have children. Uh, The change in Naomi. So, dissolving bitterness. And I've, I've been pastoring a long time. I've been in people's lives a long time. And I've found that this is a major problem in people's lives. And this book talks about the problem. This woman, Naomi, told her friends, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Naomi means the pleasant one, Mara means the bitter one. Call me Mara. Never again is that term used. And never again do we hear Ruth talking, I'm mean, sorry, Naomi talking the way she was talking, particularly in chapter 1. There's a change in this woman. And I think it's important that we understand what happened and what can happen in your life and what can happen in my life if we follow what the Bible says. So, uh, four parts to this. I want to look at the, what are the faces of bitterness? What is the price of bitterness? And uh, community and how community is essential in 
in this, answering this question, how do we overcome bitterness? How do we overcome bitterness? The faces, bitterness, the price of bitterness, overcoming bitterness. And uh, let's look at the faces of bitterness. Look at, let's go back to chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Um, and just look, because this is the passage I refer to. She comes home. Um, let me read verse 19 of chapter 1. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, coming back to her hometown. And look at this. It's just such a nice uh, scene here. And they came to Bethlehem and the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And the woman, and the, it, it, she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Wow, what a greeting. But this is where she was at. And this is what came, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is just what comes out of her. But when did it start? You know, the Bible doesn't really tell us when did it start. Look, look at chapter 1, uh, verse 3. But when Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, was it then? Or verse 5. And when Mahalon and Chilion died, so that the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Was it then? Was it when her sons died? Or was it in verse 1? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judea, or Judah, I'm sorry, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Was it then? Well, God's not taking care of us. And maybe, we don't know. Maybe it was later. Bitterness... And bitterness can be against man, and it can be against God. And it's not necessarily important where it starts, but how it develops and how it can be changed. It starts at some point. It usually starts with a hurt, and a hurt is like a seed dropping down into the ground. And then how we process that, whether we kick dirt over it and water and fertilize that seed, or whether we flick it off through forgiveness makes all the difference in the world. It can be a hurt, a perceived hurt. It's not necessarily important how it begins, but how it develops. The issue is that this woman, Naomi, said, call me Mara. Because the Almighty has dealt very Bitterly with me. He has taken away and taken away and taken away. That was her perception of her life. And she was bitter. And we see examples all through the Bible of bitterness. In the very beginning, Cain. Cain 
was bitter. And I would say he was bitter against his brother Abel, bitter against God at the same time. We see uh, Esau became bitter at his brother Jacob. We see Joseph's brothers became bitter at their brother Joseph. We see the people of God when they were in the wilderness became bitter against God. It's just all through the Bible. Many, many faces of bitterness. But what is the price of bitterness? And one price of bitterness. I'm going to say what some things can be. is not always the case. But one price of bitterness that can be is depression. Cain, uh, Minerth Meyer said, depression is anger turned inward. Unresolved anger. Many times that is why it develops. Cain is a great example. Cain in Genesis chapter 4, there in that passage is linked with what you might call a depression in Cain with anger. Both of those terms are used side by side. It says, God says to him, why is your face fallen? And the term fallen, and we know when people have their faces just kind of fallen, when the lips turn down, and you see that continually, you would say, that person seems like they're not just having a bad day or they're not just tired. They seem to be depressed. The uh, other translations, instead of using the word fallen, use sulking, unhappy, dejected, downcast, dark. All those are terms used to describe that that are taking the the Hebrew word that normally just means it just means fallen, but they're trying to help people understand what does that mean face fallen. It's talking about someone who's downcast. Um, God did not intend for us to have unresolved anger. God did not intend for us to go around with filled with bitterness and anger. Just as he didn't intend for us to go around with fear or guilt or some of these other things that we carry around. The Bible's very clear about this. And when you do that, it's like you're carrying this weight around all the time. It's going to make you tired. It's going to wear you out emotionally. If you were to go out and run around the church 20 times, I don't know if I could do that, but you know, run around the church 20 times, particularly in this weather, you would be tired at the end. You would not be full of energy uh, as you are right now. You would be tired out. And that's a good picture of what happens when we carry this grudges and when we carry unforgiveness in our hearts, whether it is with God or with people. And sometimes it doesn't matter because we know that God is, is in control And so when something happens to us, maybe through the hands of a person, we understand that God is in control. And that can leak over into anger toward God. In the other way, anger toward God really leaks over in anger toward other people. And that's one of the prices of bitterness. It hurts all relationships. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Um, And I want to read verses 14 and 15 to you. It says, strive for peace with everyone 
and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And then here's the verse. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. It's a very important verse that a lot of Christians don't know. But we have a situation in many families and churches and communities where many have become defiled. And it's, the, the, it's because there is what the Bible calls a root of bitterness. I, um, I was pulling some weeds and in this... And, and you guys may get some of these weeds, but there's one that like grows up like a vine and has these sticker things on it, and it's really slender. And I would just every time I'd like have a glove and I'd just try to pull it and it'd break off. And and so um, finally I said, you know, I'm tired of seeing these things are growing up all over. So I I start digging. I thought I'm going to get the root. I expected the root because it was just really slender. It just this little like the size of a marble maybe. So I dug up, I dug up, and this is what I got. <laughs> this. It's pretty ugly, isn't it? It's a big old root. I mean, I thought, man, I mean, this little thing coming up. And, and, and I realized that unless you get the root up, uh, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to take care of the weed problem. And there were several of these, there's several of these, they're all over my yard, all over my, with my plants. And, uh, but, you know, I thought it was interesting. God calls it a, a root of bitterness. <clears throat> because sometimes we see, and it, it was a good example because that little weed grows up and if you grab it, it sticks you. And we don't like it. It's not pretty. We don't like things that are not pretty. We don't like things, most usually, that, that will stick you when you touch them. So we try to get rid of them. We cut it off. We weed it off or whatever. It keeps coming back, and it keeps coming back. Why? Because there's this root that is there in the ground. And the thing about a root is it's under the surface. You don't see it. I think, well, maybe that's why God calls it a root, because it's, it's not something that everyone sees. It's, it's in the thoughts. And maybe only those closest to us start seeing the evidence of that. But the rest of the world, we're pretty good at disguising that for a period of time. Um, you know, and, it, and, and unless we get, get it up, that root continues to grow. There's a lie that we hear a lot, and it's this, time heals all wounds. No, it does not. It does not. Now, maybe if you get a cut, I mean, you know, usually, unless it gets infected or something. But we've got to process that. We've got to deal with that. Or it's just going to continue to grow. It's not just going to be, well, that happened a long time ago. It's, it's gone. It, it, no. This thing is growing underneath the surface. And every once in a while, something's going to pop up. And you'll say, what is, why is that happening? That's weird. And then forget about it. Unless you really make an attempt to dig it up. And you may find great trouble because the longer it grows, the bigger it gets. And the bigger it gets, the more difficult it is. Uh, to remove. And it says in that, that many will be defiled. 
what happens usually is that that becomes generalized. Notice Naomi didn't say, I'm bitter about this, or I'm bitter about, I'm bitter at God, or I'm bitter at my husband for taking us to Moab, or whatever it was. She was just Mara. Because it just takes over. It becomes so big, it just takes over. And so now, it's not bitter against your mom, or your dad, or your brother, or your someone that did... It's, it, it now begins to infect all other relationships. And it's a real problem. Uh, heard story about this man, and it kind of, my ears perked up because he was, he's a Christian, you know, it was on television. And uh, my ears perked up even more because his dad was a pastor, and he had been a missionary to kid, you know, with the kids and um, then came back to the States, became pastor of rather, ended up pastoring a rather large church, 3,000-member church in Oklahoma. Until one day there was a home invasion. And the father and mother were shot. And they died. They also uh, hurt the Sister, his sister was, I think, 12, and I think he was 16 or 14 at the time. Got to get all my facts right. Um, Everyone was shot, but the kids survived. And you can imagine what they went through. And the, the person that was interviewed was the son... And he talks about failed marriages and all the all this stuff that just was everything was everything was you know even though on one level he ended up becoming a he became a state senator um, he did some things that were pretty neat on the other level it, personally it just you know relationship after relationship after relationship was not working out and uh, one day as a um, as a, an official he went to the prison. And he found out that the shooter, the one that ended up killing his mom and dad, was there in the prison. And he said, I want to see him. They said, it's a bad idea. You shouldn't see him. I want to see him. And when he saw this man, who he only knew for one short period of time, and the guy was on drugs when when this happened, the, the shooter, later, years down the road, dealing with the guilt, dealing with, you know, all that had happened, The man was so remorseful, and this guy whose dad and mom were killed by this shooter, and his sister had been molested and shot, he himself was shot, um, forgives him. He forgives him, and everything changed in his life. As providentially things worked out, this guy person I'm talking about whose dad was killed, mom was killed. He liked to do some theater, liked to write and stuff. He thought about writing some, getting involved in some kind of movie or something like that. And this, this he knew someone who was a, who was, who was a movie maker and started talking about different ideas. And he just, on, he just started talking about, well, yeah, this other thing happened in my life. And he tells his story. And the guy says, I, that's an unbelievable story. Not just of pain and hurt, but of forgiveness. And so he urges the guy to write this. 
and it's a movie, and the title of the movie is Heaven's Rain. And uh, it's, a, it's just come out. And uh, it's been pretty much in the southwest from Oklahoma, you can imagine. But we found out about it, and we're going to be showing it next Sunday night. And I want to encourage you to come. Because I think it really shows how we can be set free. Because all of us living in this life, it says in Matthew 12, 24, or 24, 12. Because lawlessness has increased, most men's love will grow cold. And we're dealing with people, with neighbors and friends and, and people we work with and who are going to hurt us. And what do we do with that? And why is it that so many people start their life so bright and full of hope and optimism, and you see them in the end of their life just shriveled up and angry and distrusting of so many people. And so, I want to encourage you to come because his story, and he says about himself, he said, he said I had a coat of armor that was killing me and it was killing my marriages that he had put, erected around himself because he had not dealt with this particular issue. Um, it's just amazing. I, I was at um, McDonald's yesterday, um, you know, just go in for to get a frappe, you know. I, I didn't want to encounter. But there was, um, there was a person in front of me in line and she looked a little, with her kid, and she looked a little Hispanic, you know, I guess. And, and she ordered, and a person that was standing behind me, and uh, it, was a, it was a young woman, and uh, she said something to the clerk. It was just out of the, it was, a, uh, what, don't you speak Spanish? And he said, ma'am. Don't you speak Spanish? You can't understand her? What's the problem? And he said, well, ma'am, she spoke English. And then she cussed at him. And then she walked out. And the guy was like, wow. (laughs) You know, we were all like, he wouldn't take my order from it. He said, I just need to get, I just need a minute. (laughs) It was just the strangest thing. And you think, what makes someone do that? And I don't know. I mean, you know, we could all guess. But I would imagine this is someone who has some bitterness going on. I mean, if out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. This is someone who is angry. And here it bursts out at this guy for no reason. Um, at least no real reason. And that's the way Naomi, uh, in the book of Ruth, we see Naomi and how she was. Remember, we talked about this, if you were here, when that great statement by Ruth, when she tell, one of the daughters-in-law goes back, she, you know, she says, y'all go back, don't come with me to Israel, you, you're not going to find husbands. And, and one goes back and Ruth says, this statement that is used in weddings, it's used, um, you see it on greeting cards, it's one of the most beautiful statements of, of loyalty in all of Scripture, where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. 
And where you die, I will die. And where you're buried, I'll be buried. And your God will be my God. I mean, one of the most wonderful statements of the Bible. And, and it says, uh, Naomi didn't say anything. And some of the commentators say, she was almost giving her the silent treatment because she really didn't want Ruth to go with her. She didn't want this Moabite woman to go back with her to Israel. It would have been a, bad, it would have been a badge of dishonor showing that her son had married an unbeliever. All this happens, and she just, because she's self-absorbed. And then she goes back, and the people greet her, and she says, don't call me, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. No, oh, it's, I'm so glad to see you. People, it's obvious that they're excited to see her. There's nothing, because she is, this bitterness has affected her. Well, one other way that bitterness can hurt us is that it can ultimately cause us to become shipwrecked in regard to our faith. First Timothy 1.19 says, Holding faith in a good conscience, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck in regard to their faith. Um, you know, we, we think of um, you know, when Jesus taught us to pray, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We know that that's a big part of the Christian life. And when we refuse to do that, we know we're not with a good conscience. And Paul says in First Timothy, if we reject a good conscience, those who have done so, some, he says, have made shipwreck in regard to their faith. You wonder why do some people... It's like they're following God, they're, they're on fire for Him, and then a few years down the road, some, what's happened? Some of them have left a good conscience. Good conscience is so important. We're not going to be perfect, but we need to recognize when we're, when we, we're intentionally sinning and, and come to God about that and, and confess that to Him. But there's some things we say, I'm, I'm holding on to this. And we can suffer shipwreck in regard to our faith. And I believe bitterness is one of those things. That some of the people I've seen, you'd say they've suffered shipwreck. I know that some of them, at least bitterness, was a component. Well, how do we overcome it? And the good thing in the book of Ruth is, and let's go back to the book of Ruth, that is we see in Naomi that... There is a change in her. Um, and why was there a change? What happened? Well, one thing we can say is that she was in a different country. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about a different race group or national. I'm not talking but I'm talking about she was with a people who in Moab who worshipped gods who did not know the God of the Bible, and she comes to the um, back to Bethlehem among a group, and I'm not saying they were perfect, but they knew, at least to some extent, they knew the God of the Bible. Let's look at a few passages just to show that. Look at chapter one, verse nineteen. One of the things that happened was she was cared for. Uh, verse 19, so two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred and because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She was around people who knew her and cared for her. And I believe that's part of being in the community of grace, that there are people who care for you. There's something that thaws out our frozen hearts when there are people who are interested in us and care for us. Chapter 2, verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. You just see the talk of the redeemed. They're talking about God. They're, they're saying, The Lord bless you. It's not just about me. It's not looking out for number one. It's not, it's, and it's the Lord bless you. Not just good luck. Chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Boaz says to, Naomi, uh, to Ruth, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and, f- and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You see which, what the kind of place that Naomi, the kind of people that she's around, and what she is being exposed to. Um, and then let's shoot on ahead to chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And this is coming to the end of the story. This is coming to the rest of it. But it's, it's showing how the people around her help her interpret the events that have taken place. Let's read verses 13 through 15. So Boaz took Ruth. In other words, he married Ruth. And she became his wife. And the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. And the women said to Naomi, listen to this. This is how they're talking to her. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is more to you than seven sons, uh, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And I love verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The women are saying, look at the good stuff that's happening to you. Look at this. And look at this woman that loves you, this Ruth that loves you. Think about that. And think about that this all comes from God. She was around a different set of people. And that makes a big difference. Become like those you're around. Bad company corrupts good morals. He Do not go with an angry man lest you become like him. But it also says he who walks with wise men will be wise. And so we see one thing for for sure is that now Naomi was among a community, a community of grace. And that can have a big impact. Larry Crabb says, without community where we know, explore, discover, and touch one another, we experience isolation and despair that drive us in wrong directions. Now, I have a card here with some, some of the things that we're going to be talking about. One is community. And I hope you'll take that. We're going to pass them out the door and give you some scripture. But I just want to quickly go over this. One, number two, or the second thing here is get your theology right. In Genesis chapter 50, 
we see Joseph was able to forgive his brothers because he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And then look at the rest of the passage. Then he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Um, Joseph was able to forgive because he believed in the providence of God. I want to show you something from the Heidelberg Catechism, chapter 27, uh, question 27. It says, what do you understand by the providence of God? Listen to this. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that, uh, that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now, the very next question, question 28, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Listen to what it says. This is written in 1576. So it's great to know that we're not just part of this new thing that's come about. There's people who kind of have understood this through the centuries. It says, what does it benefit us to know this? Look at the answer. We can be patient in adversity thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. That's what Joseph was saying in Genesis 50. He said, you know I can forgive these guys? You know I can forgive my brothers? Because I know they meant evil, but God meant it for good. No one can mess up God's plan for your life. Isn't that great? No one can, no one can mess it up. And when you know that they can't mess it up, it's easier to forgive them. A couple other things. Don't let it begin from Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27. And I encourage you to look these up. But that's the passage that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, that's where it begins. When we don't process it, when we don't go through it, um, through prayer and talking to God and letting it go. Then that same chapter, Ephesians 4, choose to let go of bitterness. Uh, Ephesians 4.31, where it tells us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Decide to stop. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to stop this malice. I'm going to stop this bitterness. I'm going to, I'm going to choose to let go. I had a theologian one time was saying, you know, isn't it interesting that Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And we were talking about that. And he said he had to pray that because if he hadn't chosen to forgive, he would have become bitter. And I was like, wow, Jesus become bitter? Well, as a man, when you're hurt, you will become bitter You will become bitter unless you choose to forgive. Because that's the way we are. And so he says, let go of that. And then uh, verse 32, preach the gospel to yourself. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. Paul's saying, remember how you've been forgiven. And so the gospel 
we need to go back again to the gospel. Max Lucado said something really good. He said, when, we, when the grace of God is missed, bitterness is born. But when the grace of God is embraced, forgiveness flourishes. The more we immerse ourselves in grace, the more likely we are to give grace. Immerse yourself in his grace. Let's pray. Father, so much we could say and so much struggle that we can have with this issue. But we thank you that you have not left us without truth. You have given us your word and your spirit and your people. Help us to take advantage of these resources, dear Lord, and to, and to let go of bitterness. But not only that, you know that's not enough. We're to embrace love. We're to be tender-hearted toward all. We pray by your grace, because we've been forgiven through Jesus, that we would forgive others. And we pray this in his name. Amen.